If you guys want to open up your Bibles to Psalm 119, we will be starting uh, there for this session. And while you are turning there, let me just give you a brief uh, sketch of where we're going to go. We've been doing the basics. So our first week we talked about covenant theology, which I propose as a backbone for putting all of scripture together. Last week, we talked about soteriology or the doctrine of salvation, uh, which is probably one of the most important doctrinal things to get right as it regards to viewing the world and understanding people and and sin and how God works to to save us. And then this week, uh, the goal is going to be to get you to see these things in scripture on your own. Uh, as a regular pattern of reading. So we're going to be talking just about Bible reading or Bible study, however you like to think about that. And as we start there, I want to read out of Psalm 119, particularly in verse 9 and following, where it reads, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts, I will fix my eyes on your ways, I will delight in your statutes, and I will not forget your word. These verses come to us from the longest of the chapters in the entire Bible, both Old and New Testament. And the obsession of the psalmist in Psalm 119 is to get everyone who's reading the psalm to understand the importance of God's word as it relates to vibrancy and, uh, let's say, flourishing within this life. It is uh, the backbone and the the vitality of the Christian walk. And uh, you can feel free to turn here as well. I'm just going to read one verse out of Deuteronomy chapter 8. It is a verse that no doubt you will be familiar with. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 where Moses says this to the people of God. I'll start reading in verse two. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart and whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you to know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This verse is famously quoted by Jesus in the New Testament when facing temptation uh, from the devil. And in these two sketches, I think you have a a guardrails for what the whole Hebrew Bible views scripture as and what the New Testament echoes and affirms scripture to be, which is not just something that's a resource for Christians, but it's the lifeblood of the Christian walk. We live in an area or in an age in the history of the world, which is an embarrassment of riches. We can have the Bible printed to us. We can have expensive copies, cheap copies, translations that are easier to read, harder to read. We can have it on our phones through 20 different apps or 30 different websites if we want to. We have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to reading the Bible. And so I think as we consider discipleship and and how we should as Christians approach the wealth that we have access to, we wanna know what do we do with all of this access, okay? It's one thing to have access to all that. It's another thing to know how do you employ that beneficially for your Christian walk. So the, the first thing I'm gonna say before I get into specifics on this is something is better than nothing. So as I go into details of what might be better ways to read or more beneficial ways to read the Bible, 
uh, I don't want you to think that unless you're doing it perfectly, that that is somehow not worth the effort. Something is better than nothing. So even if you have the Bible app on your phone and you read a verse a day, that's better than doing nothing at all, okay? But that being said, there are ways to read the Bible where you can get more out of it than I think you would naturally get if you just approach the thing and start, start reading it, how most Christians are trained to read the Bible. So one, one, I think, unfortunate mistake that we make is actually from the blessing of expository preaching, we think that the way to read the Bible is two or three verses at a time in the morning, and you need six commentaries in order to understand what's going on in this text. Now, that is a blessing because what you've, uh, the background to that is preachers who spend weeks pouring their lives and study into a couple of verses so they can prepare a sermon to present to the people. And then the people in the pews walk away thinking that they need to see all of that themselves in the Bible when they're reading it for themselves. And that's just not true. Uh, something similar is uh, you have access, many of you, to either an ESV or an NIV study Bible. Uh, that can give you the impression that upon reading the text, you should be able to understand what's going on in the footnotes, but without looking at the footnotes. And that's just not true. The footnotes are there because it's a study Bible, which means scholars who spent decades of their lives putting research and time into this particular passage are summarizing what they've learned for you. So as a Christian, what, what can you get out of the Bible when you read it for yourself? And how should you approach reading? Not with one or two verses and a week's worth of study. I think the best way to read the Bible, first and foremost, is how you read every single book that you've ever read in your entire life. The reason I say that uh, is not without precedent. The vast majority of texts within the Bible are written in narrative form, which means they are written as stories. And so how is narrative stories to be read? Well, if you pick up a narrative from a paperback bookstore or from a, a used bookstore, you get a narrative book in your hands. Uh, you read it. You turn to the first page, you read the first page, you read the second page, you read all the way to the end, and you usually don't stop and go back to paragraphs uh, because that's just not how you read stories. You read stories by moving continuously through them, and if you don't understand what's going on in this moment, you don't stop and do a sentence analysis of what's going on. You just keep reading, and eventually those things kind of massage themselves out in the text. That's exactly how you should read the Bible for the most part. That's a good base layer of reading. So let's say you're reading the book of Genesis. Uh, you read to chapter two, you don't know what's going on. Then you read chapter three, four, five. Let's say you're still not clear what this text is going on. Keep reading and don't, and don't go back until you finish chapter 50. And then you can ask the question, okay, now I've got it all in front of me. What's going on? What are the main themes and ideas that are coming out of this text? Uh, if, if I was to put to you, let's say, a, a corpus of text, let's say the Chronicles of Narnia from C.S. Lewis, and you'd never read them, suppose, and I said, I want you to take these books and I want you to write for me a report of the main themes that Lewis is arguing in Chronicles of Narnia. And you hadn't read them. Well, the first thing you should do before you can summarize the themes in the books, you have to just read them and you gotta read all of them. And probably a couple of times before you're gonna sit down and try to summarize what's going on in these texts. Now, let's say I, I asked more of you than just reading the Chronicles of Narnia or, or writing me a report on what's going on in them. Let's say I said, I want you to live and die by the worldview advocated for in these books. Well, then you, didn't, you, then you wouldn't want to go to a SparkNotes summary and go, okay, what's going on here? You would want to read it, read it yourself, read it again, and know for your own sake, what's going on in the books is really what's going on in the books. The Bible, it doesn't, most Christians aren't going to be writing reports on various books of the Bible uh, for publication somewhere in the future. But we are called to live according to the life theology and worldview of what's in this text. And so we need to read it. We need to know what that worldview is. So the first thing with reading is just keep moving. 
So I think a great way to do this is get uh, read the Bible in a year plan, whatever one you can get your hands on, and just read through that thing if you've never read the Bible before. It, let's say you have read the Bible before and you feel confident, generally speaking, on what the main points are. Uh, then you could go on a deeper read into individual books. Let's say you read just Genesis or just the Psalms or just Romans, and you study that for a couple of months, reading it over and over and over again during that time. Then, let's say you've done that for a number of years, those kinds of readings. Then, and only then, would it be wise for you to slow down and try to go a couple of verses at a time, really dissecting what's going on. Because then you've actually got the lay of the land to evaluate details against. If you've never read the Bible before and you go verse by verse study, you will be 100% dependent on whatever resources you have access to. And you won't really have the larger corpus of theology to, to pull from. So those are, let's say, principles of reading. Now, those are all principles that are within your control, but there's another principle that's within your control, which is that you don't want to read the Bible in isolation. Meaning, if you're going to read the Bible for the first time through in a year, uh, you want to be doing that with at least one other person that you trust, or at least one other person, maybe they're not reading it with you, but that you can ask questions of when you come across something difficult. Because sometimes you're going to read something, and you're going to keep reading, and it's still not going to make sense when you're done reading, and then you're going to have to say, okay, I have at least seven questions going on right now, and I need clarity on at least three of them before I can go to the next chapter. Well, then you're going to want someone you can call or meet up with or touch base with to ask questions from, not assuming they're going to know perfectly, but just so you can start developing some of those ideas. I think the best practice for Christians is to recognize the fact that God created us not as individuals to go and fulfill the Great Commission or as individuals to study the Bible, but he created us as part of a community, a church, a life, a body, that we are to partake in regularly. And one of the ways we do that is we read the word, not on our own in silos, but we read the word in community with one another. So personal Bible reading is great, but personal Bible reading is much better if it's actually not personal, it's corporate. You're doing it with other people uh, who you can share that information with. Uh, better yet, uh, and I would say even more foundational to anything that I've just said, is making sure that you are regularly hearing the word of God preached and, and presented before you in, in a logical fashion. Some preaching does not support Bible reading, and some preaching does support Bible reading. So you want to listen to preaching on a regular basis that's actually building out your muscles and your brain to be able to understand the text of scripture and follow the arguments being made. You're, you want to be under the kind of preaching that's going to show you where are the nooks and crannies and the details that should rise to the surface in a careful reading of the text. You don't want the kind of preaching that's going to make you think that, well, this is just someone's impression of whatever they read. Okay? You want the kind of reading and you want a kind of preaching that's going to force you to read the Bible in a certain way, namely to see all the important details that are there and to keep the main things the main things. That's, that's one piece. So you want to be regularly under that kind of preaching. You want to be reading the Bible in community with other believers. You want to be reading the Bible yourself, uh, you, hopefully in large chunks uh, over the course of your life. And, uh, and this might seem counterintuitive to what I was just saying about you want to be reading the Bible. If you're reading the Bible and you're paying attention to the gifts given in the New Testament, you'll recognize that some of the gifts are for the Bible to give teachers or the Bible tells us itself in Corinthians and Ephesians that God gives teachers to the church. Now that doesn't just mean preachers of the word, though it does, which I've just mentioned a moment ago, but that also means that if you're reading the Bible well and you're listening to what it's saying, you'll also pick up good biblical theology resources to read on top of your Bible reading. So a Christian doesn't just read the Bible 
and come to their own conclusions and think that their theology is the end-all be-all theology, a Christian will evaluate their understanding of the text in community, within the context of the church that they're a part of, and also within the context of Christian history and other broader available resources. Not only do we live in an age where we have access to all kinds of print Bibles, we also live in an age where you can buy any number of quality Bible resources. I mentioned study Bibles. You can get commentaries on books of the Bible. You can get uh, various studies in different kinds of theology books of the Bible. So if you're, let's say, particularly interested in how does the Bible all fit together, there's books out there that will discuss various viewpoints on how that, how that makes sense. And so if you're listening to what the Bible says about God giving the church teachers to actually help edify the church, you'll hear that advice and you'll go and get resources from people who are gifted like that and you'll actually read them yourself because you are taking seriously what the Word of God actually says. That's not to say that you're not reading the Bible, you're departing and reading something else, but you're using that to supplement your Bible reading. Now, all of that I'm mentioning in, in sequential order because I think you want to be reading the Bible first. You don't want to just be reading books about the Bible, but you also do want to be reading books about the Bible to support and build out a foundation of your own Bible reading. Um, if you're a reader of, let's say, fantasy or science fiction or any number of genres, uh, a biblical theology will be a totally different genre of reading, but I would say it's a necessary genre of reading for a Christian to understand how do these parts fit together. The last thing that I'll mention is not quite so neatly considered Bible reading, uh, but it maybe goes into the broader category of resources that Christians have available to them. Uh, not only can you listen to good preaching, uh, hopefully in the context of a healthy local church, uh, but there are also resources, let's say you're driving in the car, places. You can listen to recorded sermons from years past. Those are, there's great resources available to you online, like the Martin Lloyd-Jones Trust. Uh, I know John Piper has Desiring God, freely available, Grace to You from John MacArthur. Ligonier has an app where you can download any number of podcasts that can help edify you in your, your walk, which are all tack-ons to Bible reading. But also there's other resources, like you can get the ESV Bible app, which you can just press play, and as you're driving in the car, it can read to you the text of, of whatever's going on. Now, again, I said uh, those are supplementary resources to actual, let's say, yourself reading the word and studying it. But I would say don't scorn the available options that you have in front of you. Uh, if all you have in time for in the day is to read between, you know, when you wake up and go to work because you slept in, that's better than nothing at all. And it's, it's better to get God's word in your head, in your heart, in your mind than it is to just uh, say, well, I guess I lost it. I'll get it again tomorrow. The last thing probably worth saying on reading the Bible and studying it um, is you will come to a point in time where you'll think that you understood something about scripture and then it'll become clear to you either through further study or through a wiser believer or through some any number of events where you'll realize, oh shoot, I got that wrong, I misunderstood that. And then you will be tempted to despair and think, well, I'm no good at this thing, I'll just put this to the side and leave the theology to the professionals. <laughs> That is the last thing you want to do. Uh, as, as Protestants, we say the Bible is inerrant and infallible, uh, and nothing else is. Other things can be helpful, but only the Bible is inerrant and infallible, which means uh, if you're reading the Bible and you're coming to conclusions about it, and then let's say a year later you realize those conclusions were bad, or you would disagree with your earlier conclusions, that's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, that's proof that what you're actually doing in reading the Bible is shaping and molding your mind. Now, you don't think about it this way because you think, I just got it wrong. I wasn't perfect. But actually, that's proof that what's happening when you read the Bible is shaping your life and your thinking and your understanding. Because let's say you read through the whole thing and then you come back to Genesis and you start reading again. Well, you might see different things there than you did the first time around, 
because you have the, the formation of the later texts that are now informing how you read. That's true over years of time. So if you, if you change your mind on something in the Bible, that doesn't mean that you're a bad student of theology. That actually is a good indication that you are a student and you are learning. That's, that's part of the point. Um, I think that's, a, that's an encouragement because uh, even the best theologians of our day, if you go to like earlier stuff that they would have written, a lot of them would uh, take back or even augment a lot of the things they taught earlier. Uh, D.A. Carson has this wonderful book. Uh, it's a hermeneutics book called Exegetical Fallacies. And in the book, he uses a lot of negative examples of how not to read the Bible. So bad, bad mistakes that you could make when reading the Bible. And he uses himself as 90% of the bad examples because he's taking himself from 10 years ago and he's saying, I shouldn't have done that. Here's why that's wrong. Here's what, here's what would be a better way to do it. But if you think about that, he's, a, he's one of the most learned scholars of our day and he's comfortable saying of himself, yeah, I got that wrong. So you who hasn't gone to seminary or isn't going to get a PhD or doesn't know the original languages and Latin and German and things like that, give yourself freedom to change your mind and to, to make mistakes. All of that is okay within the realm of Bible reading. Now here's the last point, uh, and this is something I think that uh, might, may or may not seem related to you at all, but prayer, confession of sin, and holiness before God are also vital to reading the Bible because you can't expect God to bless your Bible reading and you're seeing into his word and understanding it if you also have 20 unconfessed sins and, and bitterness that you're harboring in your heart and all kinds of stuff going on in the background, all kinds of gunk, uh, you can't expect that to not affect your Bible reading. Let's say you're driving a car and you never change the oil and it's just gunky and sludgy and the car engine cannot run smoothly. Well, you cannot expect that car to run at its fuel economy, at good efficiency, or even really to run after a certain point because of how much junk is built up in there. The way to do it is you first change the oil and then you expect the car to perform better. So it is with Christians in sin. You need to first clear out all the gunk before you can go and, and really get what you need to out of, out of scripture. So as a regular habit, when you're reading your Bible, make confession of sin a part of what it means to understand scripture, or even praying for insight into scripture, recognizing that you yourself cannot see things without the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. All of that being said, all of these things I think are important, and there's much more to say as with all of these topics we're discussing uh, than what I've just mentioned now. Uh, but I will save some of that for the discussion and some of it for follow-up questions. So let me just close us in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, this time, uh, particularly, Lord, for the fact that your word is available to us, that we don't have to hide in caves or in basements or meet up in the middle of the night or at 2 a.m. to open your word and to discuss it together. But, Lord, we live in a place where we are privileged and blessed to be inside of an air-conditioned place. Uh, we can do this openly. Uh, we have been given freedom by your grace to read the word. We pray, Lord, that we would not squander these resources. You would give us grace to use them, use them wisely, use them frequently. And Lord, that we would be disciplined students of your words. So we might say with the psalmist that we are with our whole hearts seeking you. And we are with our best intentions, not trying to walk away from what your word says. We pray this all in your name. Amen.